Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Crackstats podcast. Your host is Steven Drennan, a football writer who you can find at Babo Yago on Twitter, and also the co-founder of the Crackstats website and Twitter account. Before we start, we would like to thank immensely the Crackstats Patreons, without whom there would be no website nor this podcast. The co-host today is Sebastian Crankshaw, a full-time teacher, sometime football writer, and occasional scribe on rock. You can find him at He's Big, He's Red on Twitter. The topic today is Rafa Benitez. Please send us your thoughts on Twitter. Don't forget to tag us and use the hashtag CrackStatsPodcast. Now, I'll pass the mic to Steven and Sebastian to crack on with this podcast. Seb, thanks for joining me. Um, let's talk about Rafa Benitez joining Everton. What's your initial thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been trying to project myself into the kind of mind of a intelligent and fair-minded Everton fan. And I've been thinking about like, what kind of manager would you want to have if you're an Everton fan? One who isn't going to leave for a bigger club, one who's got a proven track record, one who actually has been known to get really good results against sort of teams with more money, more established squads. And if it weren't for the fact that he's kind of Rafa Benitez and obviously has Liverpool associations, you'd be hard pressed to think of a more suitable candidate than Rafa, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's a really interesting appointment. And uh, I think the interesting thing is um, he also seems perfectly suited to take over a club right now that um, uh, isn't quite ready to compete for anything um, and build them up from the ground. Um, he, he's very good at working on a budget. And when you look at um, the the fact that they're going to be building a new stadium and, and all the expenses co that come with that and the fact that like Spurs and Arsenal both struggled in terms of staying competitive uh, while working on a budget, um, he, he seems like a, a good guy to actually bring in to deal, to deal with that. That's a really, really good point. And actually, like, one of the things you sense that he's been looking for for a long, 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 long time is an actual project somewhere where he's got a chance to kind of remake a club in his image, start from the ground up, work on the youth systems, work on the um, work on the training systems and actually leave a legacy. And while I've heard that the owner there is kind of pretty, pretty hands on, Maybe he also, because of that financial situation and the new stadium, is willing to take a more hands-off approach and go like, well, if we've got a guy who's prepared to work on a budget and build from the ground up and actually work on building youth systems and build up from there, then boom. Yeah, it's it's interesting as well because when, when he's coming in the Everton, he's coming in already with a, a lot of pressure, I guess, um, from the Everton fans. And I remember when Rafa Benitez came in and he, he wanted to make a lot of changes at Liverpool. And he had that whole battle with um, Steve, Highway, uh, Steve Highway over the Youth Academy. And it'll be interesting if he comes in and, and the same things happen at Everton. He wants to change a lot of traditional norms at Everton. He wants to get rid of a, a lot of long-established staff at Everton. If he se receives a lot of pushback against that from fans, um, what sides they'll take... And you could possibly see a lot of infighting already further down the road. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, and you're so right to say he comes in there under a lot of pressure already. And I think um, 
to an extent, the first run of games is always really important in terms of kind of building up a relationship to the fans. But in this case, it's almost a make, a, make or break. If he, if he starts badly, you could see that almost being the end of his time before it's even begun. But in terms of sort of turning over established systems without and honestly I'd like to make this clear throughout the whole podcast like without wishing to be in any way disrespectful from a sort of outsider to our Everton it's hard to see what kind of established systems there are to upset because it doesn't strike me as a club that's been working to a really clear game plan but rather that's been quite reactive and moving from sort of manager that's available to manager that's available it doesn't feel like there's an underlying strategy there yeah and that's the thing i've noticed with everton over the last um few years um i think one of the problems everton have is that everton fans sorry have is they're always thinking of everton in terms of liverpool like how they can stay competitive with liverpool how they can get back up to that level and it, it feels like maybe the board think the same way and they're constantly going for like a big name manager and it's just about trying to get the, the biggest name in that they can get. And it's not always a case of, is he the right guy? Um, and I feel like this appointment, it could be considered the same. But it actually, for me, I don't think it is. Because if you bring in someone like Rafa Benitez, who the fans are going to be against right from the start, and he has an uphill battle, I don't think you, you bring him in with that in mind. You're not trying to think about Liverpool. They're starting to think about getting in the right guy to wipe the board clean and start again with our own plan and our own aims and trying to get back to find our own level and build up from there. And and he, he just feels like the right guy to do it. I don't know if he'll just get the support to do it, but it feels like the right guy. Yeah. If And if that is the plan, then you'd struggle to find someone better because it feels like that's what he was doing at Newcastle, you know, um, under a literally completely unworkable Oh no, but that is the reason that all Newcastle fans love what he did for the club, speak for him, speak about him with a lot of respect and generally dislike Steve Bruce, despite the fact that Bruce has on the face of it um, also had relatively decent results. But they see the difference in the style of play. They see the difference in terms of ambition. They see the difference in terms of sort of club building and long term foundations that are set in place. Yeah, it's funny you say all that because um, the the thing I would say about bringing Rafa Benitez in as well is I think Everton have a problem in terms of building that connection between the fans, the players and the manager. Um, And that's something that Rafa Benitez has been very good at every club he's been at. He's very good at getting fans onside, even at Chelsea. Chelsea fans ended up onside. They saw that he was a good appointment, even though they were dead against them. He eventually got them into like uh, a competitive shape very, very quickly. And Rafa Benitez might be the guy that builds up strong connections between those three things. And that could be very good for them if they do. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, 
saying earlier about kind of defining yourself against Liverpool, ironically, one person who certainly isn't going to be doing that is Rafa himself. You know what I mean? He isn't going to be interested in sort of like recreating what went before or establishing dominance over some rival club. And the other thing is that, and this is something I'm sure is as important for Everton fans as it is for Liverpool fans, he is a manager who really gets the city. He understands how important football is to Liverpool as a city. He understands how pretty much a religious thing it is for both for both sides for red and blue um and he isn't interested in coming to a club in liverpool to do a sort of short-term job and get a bit of money into it out of it he's into it because he loves the city he's into it because he wants to stay there if he gets some initial success then He's going to be someone who isn't going to be lured away by a Real Madrid or by a better club. Yeah, and, and the other thing as well is um, he won't be afraid in press conferences to shut down uh, the media constantly trying to bring things back to talk about Liverpool. Um, I remember whenever he was at Liverpool, he kept saying things like, basically, it's not my job to talk about that. Ask me about my team. Ask me about my players. I'm not going to talk yeah. about other things. They always wanted him to talk about Mourinho or Ferguson. And he was like, nope, I'm here to talk about my team, my players. He'll do the same thing at Everton. I think other Everton managers probably felt the pressure to, to talk about Liverpool. And maybe it was brought up and they always felt the comparisons and felt the need to say something. He won't. He'll probably just shut that down right away and say, nope, I'm here to talk about Everton. Next question. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think that'll be a good thing for them as well. Yeah, totally. I agree. And kind of ironically in that sense as well, that um, I think he'd be a manager who will almost be actively working towards severing that weird kind of negative relationship that you're talking about, that, that, that almost way that, that Everton seems seem to define themselves or want to define themselves as kind of the anti-Liverpool. I do not think that is something that he's going to be interested in communicating to the players more than anything else. He's not going to be interested in communicating to the players that their existence is as a sort of rival, shadow, whatever, to this other club in the city. Um but ironically, while doing that, he's probably got a better chance than most Everton managers that I can remember of consistently getting decent results in the derby as well, which is something that clearly would endear him to Everton fans. The, yeah, and the thing about that is, um, I remember we, we actually met on, on Rock, the Red and White Cup forum. Um, we did indeed. And it actually started with the, the level three thread. Um, and, and thinking about in that terms, um, that was basically based on uh, Renus Michael's book. Um, yeah. Talking about the three levels of football. Uh, the first being level one football, which is just containment. Um, it's basically when you get in Sam Allardyce to try and save you from relegation. Yeah. And your sole focus is on trying not to concede and staying in games. And then level two is counterattacking football, which is basically what we had under Julia. It was... Um, building an attack that basically mostly stays behind the ball, commits few players forward. But when you do, you launch it forward as quick as possible yeah, and try yeah. to get forward and, and get a goal as quick as you can. There's very yeah. little actual build-up play. And then yeah. level three is obviously what we see with Pep Guardiola teams and Jurgen Klopp teams. Um, very, It's a basically a playmaking system. Um, and thinking about it in those senses, again, uh, Rafa Benitez is very successful at getting... Liverpool and the equality attacking team very quickly. We won a Champions League in his first season, um, mm -hmm. basically on that. 
Um, and in that sense, it, it's interesting to see that they've signed Damari Gray, um, who at Leicester City, who again very attack uh, counter attacking team. Mm-hmm. He was he was kind of successful there, um, and you think that he could be a good signing for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and Andros Townsend as well. Like two two players who seem like they're willing to work hard in any circumstance, who are willing to press press from the front, and also who have a lot a lot of pace. So some of that kind of counter attacking ability is already built into the players I see at Everton, add another two into that with um, a forward like Richarlison, who strikes me as a quality player. He just seems like... He, he, he seems a lot like someone like a Bobby Firmino. Do you know what I mean? He maybe, he maybe doesn't get mm-hmm. a million goals a season, but physically it looks like he can do everything. He's got incredible stamina. He's got incredible touch. He can play in between the lines. And then you get two pacey, hard-working players on either side of him. And then you've already got the makings of a really versatile system that is going to be able to play on the break in a lot of games, which they're going to have to do, but which maybe isn't limited to that. And that's certainly something about that's massively appealing about Rafa. And again, like saying that about Newcastle things, I think one of the things that they loved about him is that they recognised that the club where it was at when he took over and how they would have to survive in the Premiership was going to be based on a lot of sort of level one, level two football, a lot of like staying in tight lines, containment, playing counter-attack. But he was never content to sort of stay within that box. So if he did play against a team with inferior players, he wasn't just going to stick with containment football. Suddenly you'd see that, like, actually, he's always building towards um, a possession-based style. That's always going to be his ultimate aim, if he can, and if he has the players available to him to do that. Yeah, I mean, he never built up Liverpool with just one idea in mind. It wasn't basically, yep, we're going to be a level three team. It's, It's horses for courses. Um, at times in games, you're going to need to fall back into containment. Um, we saw that with Liverpool in the Champions League under Klopp uh, when we went to the Etihad. Uh, we we had a goal. Uh, we had a goal lead. To, sorry, a, a three goal lead to take there. Um, and when we did, we we went there and we shut down the game. Uh, mostly stayed in our own half. Shut out the first half, and then in the second half, we changed to the level two, the counter attacking style, and we went after a goal that would kill the game. Um, and and I think it's very interesting that. Uh, the ideal obviously be to get into that containment um shape as little as possible. They they'll want to um have more threat than that, but they'll also need to fall back into it. If they go a goal ahead against a Manchester City or a Liverpool um or a Manchester United, um you you suspect they'll fall back behind the ball. Um and in that sense, maybe Andros Townsend is more of a a containment sort of winger. Um, I mean, he his numbers basically look like more that of a a fullback than a a winger at Crystal Palace recently. Um, whereas the Mary Gray is obviously more of your very clear counter-attacking threat. He's lots of pace, very direct sort of player. That's really interesting. So you're you're saying by getting in Townsend, it's kind of like almost like playing with two fullbacks, one in front of the other, which sort of also makes sense um, with him having played quite a lot in uh, Hodgson system, right? And that like Hodgson just seems like a pure containment manager all the way through like two banks of four yeah 
um, even even his sort of counter attacking play seems limited and 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 kind of reluctant. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that develops in Everton and will he be able to unlock a kind of is there still more to his game than that yeah um i think we've sort of focused quite a bit so far on on sort of everton's reaction to it and uh and how he'll do at everton but but another sideway uh, sideline in this is that the um liverpool fans have reacted i guess to rafa joining the enemy i guess as they see it uh what are your thoughts on that i mean this might depend on like how old you are, where you, what what your relationship is to Rafa, what 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 your sort of relationship is to football in your own life. Do you know what I mean? Like, football is something I really love, but it's definitely not anything close to kind of life and death for me. And Rafa is the guy who really he took my understanding of football to another level. And I've probably never been as invested in into a team or a manager as I was into Rafford's Liverpool. And because of that, like, as far as I'm concerned, I, I owe him a debt of gratitude and a debt of thanks, like, wherever he goes and whatever he does with his life. And for me, there's a sort of romantic side to it where, like, I'm probably in a big minority of Liverpool fans saying this, but I really, really hope he does well. For Everton, I really, really hope he does well, and it feels like the relationship between the two sets of fans has become kind of toxic, to be honest. And in a city that doesn't need that kind of toxicity, and I'd like to think that maybe naively, that Rafa doing well at Everton might be able to heal some of that toxicity. Yeah, it, it it's funny that I actually share the same opinion, and it might be again that age thing. We're we're both similar age. We both find uh, uh sort of Rafa Benitez and the the Rock level three thread, and I guess we have like a lot of shared experience and opinions. It it made me think when he was appointed. Um, I, I never lived through and experienced the the Shankly and Paisley and Dalglish eras. Yeah, um, right. Uh, I, I, when I speak to a lot of the older people on Rock, um, and and also on Twitter now, you, you can see the the absolute love that uh people had for those guys. And I understand it, and I understand why they're so revered, but I just never felt it. I never lived it. And I think that makes it very different. And I think that once you live through it, you sort of respect and appreciate that someone gave you those moments and those feelings. Yeah. And maybe people today will feel the same about Jurgen Klopp. In the future, if Jurgen Klopp was to go and join a rival team, um, and he'd done it because basically Liverpool had no need for him, they'd moved on, Um. I don't think that'll ever happen. I have a funny feeling Jurgen Klopp's going to retire when he's finished here. But if that ever happened, I think people would basically say, you know what, he he loves Liverpool. He wants to stay in and around the the, the city or the country. I, I understand. I'm not going to begrudge him it. Um, he gave us everything while he was here. Um, we didn't have any need for him. He left. Um, there was no hard feelings now. So if he wants to go and 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 have a career somewhere else, it's there's very limited clubs that you can actually join that are on like a high level that would allow you to just keep living in a yeah. place where you love. So yeah, yeah. you can't really begrudge him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's a major one, right? Any any, any Liverpool fan with any sort of interest in or knowledge of Rafa whatsoever understands that the dude, like, really genuinely 
completely and totally actually properly fell in love with the city itself you know has done a lot for the city and has gained for a lot from the city as well has has two daughters who see themselves as scousers you know and that's not that's not a small thing that's not a small thing when you've when you live the kind of life that a football manager does an essentially nomadic one one where it's often difficult to bring your family with you especially if you want like younger daughters to have stability when they're growing up that kind of thing yeah yeah how how can you begrudge him and move back to the city he loves yeah and and even though Everton fans probably don't see it yet I I still think that um, Rafa Benitez will be good for them in the sense that he isn't joining them as a stepping stone yeah um if you look back with hindsight it's very clear that um Roberto Martinez Koeman um, even Marco Silva, um, and uh, even though it didn't work out for him, but Ancelotti as well, they all saw Everton as a short, a short term thing. Um, and as soon as a bigger offer came along, they were all just going to leave, and and that was very very clear. Raf is joining Everton because he loves Liverpool, the city. He wants to stay as close to his family as possible. He's just spent a long time in China. Um, yeah. During a pandemic, uh, feeling totally alone and isolated, and he's basically realized that all that matters to him is basically being around his family. And this is a perfect job for him and he's going to give it his all. And he's not going to look at it as basically a short-term stepping stone thing until something better comes along. And in that sense, he it, it's probably going to be a good thing because he's going to be putting down long-term roots, long-term decisions, the things that are going to help Everton in the future, rather than just signing a guy that will give me a good year so that I can do well, but stick him on a three-year contract. And just bog the club down. Um, because if you look at their wages, the turnover ratio, it's wild. And if you look at the players that they released this season, it's guys like um Besic and Balassi and guys that were on long term deals right. just offer nothing. Right. Um and I don't think he's gonna sign those types of guys to like long term deals, knowing that it's basically gonna hinder him in future. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely agree. And it's a it's a funny sort of situation, this one, isn't it? Where you I don't think there's often where you look at an appointment and you're like, could I see this ending in disaster after like three, four months? Actually, yeah, I, I, I could. I could. Could I see him being in charge there for the next 10 years, maybe even longer until he retires and actually building someone with something really special there? Yeah, yeah, I could. And weirdly, it's almost like there's not much in between there. Because if he gets through, if he gets through that initial success stage and builds enough sort of success, respect, fan buy-in to get through that first season, then he doesn't want to go anywhere else. And like, who, who, who better are Everton fans gonna want other than someone who's managed to like? do well enough to overcome their own sort of inherent suspicion of all things livable. It doesn't, I, I can't see him successfully doing that without doing some serious good at Everton. And I also don't think, I don't think there's a manager they could have got hold of with that particular squad who gives them a better chance at some short-term glory either in the form of a, in the form of a trophy. He's still like, He's still a manager that other managers look at and think, I don't want to pull him out of the hat for a 
for a cop tie. I don't want to pull him out of the hat in a European tie of any kind, especially not yet. Absolutely. And um, excuse the segue, but um, going from a, a manager that's uh, been appointed despite all sentiment, um, I thought the, the news this week that Solskjaer signed a new deal, it kind of feels like a very sentimental thing for me. I, I was wondering whether you saw the the similarity, or sorry, not the similarity, but obviously the complete disparity it's, between the two. It's a weird, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because like we talking that about the kind of paradigms of the old level three f- thread, right? Level one is pure containment, two banks of four. Level two is working on transitions and essentially two banks of four, but but being able to counterattack really quickly. Level three is a sort of possession based system that necessarily includes elements of the other two as well because you've got to be capable of playing all stars if you want to be really successful i can see i can see why united fans have bought into uh solshire to a certain extent because clearly he's not a divisive figure like Mourinho. the players at least don't seem to hate him obviously he understands united and has infinite respect for that club but at the same time looking at it from the outside you're like this guy is a level two manager he's never going to produce a brand of football that it is going to go beyond very effective counter-attacking and you see it in all of the matches you see it in what the fans say about him it's always kind of like why why is it that we can get these big results like at Man City or why Liverpool find us so hard to beat or we get a big sort of European result, but then we go to, you know, some lesser lesser fancied European side that can basically just keep possession pretty well. And then we're really struggling for ideas. Or we go and play a sort of a containment-based side and we're struggling for goals. Well, it's because your game is based on counter-attacking and counter-attacking yeah. doesn't really work if you haven't got an effective pressing system and your attacking system is based on countering at pace. And if the other team is not interested at all in coming out of their shells at all, then again, countering at pace has very little effect. And that's ultimately the same exact problem that we had with Julio as manager. As great a guy as he was, and as good as a lot of his individual results were, you don't play Barcelona every week. You don't play Roma in the European semi-finals every week. You do play a lot of clubs who are quite happy to just let you have the ball and go, well, go on and do something with it. And if what you want to do with it is get it extremely quickly to pacey strikers who ideally are sort of running in behind a defence, well, you're not going to have a lot of joy. You're not going to have a lot of joy if you can't go beyond that. Yeah, well, I mean, the Europa League final was basically that in a nutshell. Um, Villarreal just packed behind the ball. They let United have as much of the ball as they want. They didn't attack. They didn't commit many numbers forward. And then uh, United couldn't break it down. And then as soon as they got a goal behind, they literally had nothing. Um, mm-hmm. they, they, they they had no way of, of solving that problem. Um, and the interesting thing is, is that Renus Michaels always says that basically... The two things you need for level three football to work is really good coaching and mm-hmm. quality. Mm-hmm. And it looks like this summer they're going with the quality thing of getting Sancho, 
they, they probably still need a midfielder and they probably also need a goalkeeper in my opinion um, because I don't think either De Gea or um, uh, Henderson are very effective at basically protecting that space behind the defence. No, and if you're going to play level three football, that defensive line has to be right pushed up. Yeah. Um, and I just I just can't see it with their goalkeepers. But likewise, their midfield also has to improve on the ball. And uh, Fred and McTominay just don't look at all like they're a very good pivot for a, a level three team. So... It's very interesting to see where they go from here because and not, I'm not sure about Ole as a coach. Not just the... But also the... Go, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Carry on, carry on. No, not at all. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, like, not, not just the goalkeepers and the midfielders because he saw the same exact problem with the England team as well, to an extent. Like, yeah. defense, defense is built around Harry Maguire, who... I'm going to say this through gritted teeth, but I suppose grudgingly he does have some abilities as a defender, you know, like England in the Euros were a very, very solid defensive team and got pretty close to winning the trophy on the basis of that, as as many other teams have. But you're never going to be able to play, play a high line with Harry Maguire as part of your back four. Yeah. You, you just, you're never going to be able to do it. He, he, he can't turn quick enough. He hasn't got the pace. Um, and it's basically suicide for him. And then that also means you've you've invested 80 million into him. You've made him your captain. Sort of similar problem that Liverpool had later on with Rafa, with Carragher, basically, that you've built a lot of your club's identity around a player who he just isn't capable of a system that's going to take you to sort of where you're fans demand that you need to be yeah and the the thing i always notice with harry Maguire is he's he's very good with the ball he's very good at picking a pass but um i i also think that the when he gets it wrong he tends to get it wrong in a bad way uh-huh. and uh he he can sort of pass you into trouble i guess would be the thing i would say and the second thing is is that uh whenever you're playing level three football um, your centre-backs tend to get isolated a lot. Yeah. And there's so many highlight reel clips of Harry Maguire looking like he's in trouble whenever he gets isolated. Yeah. So, um, I, like, for example, when Jeannie Wijnaldum nutmegged him, um, and it was just... It, 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 you shouldn't define a player by one moment, but it also sort of shows that he has a tendency to just sort of run in in a sort of, like, bullish way. Um, and it, if he doesn't win the ball, he's never going to recover. Um, and it just, yeah, I, I don't think he's probably the right guy to build a level three defense around. But also because Solskjaer's like never approached this before, I guess, as a coach, he's going to be learning as he goes. And whether this is something he learns, it'll be the same with Aaron Wan-Bissaka. I don't think you can build a level three attack around a fullback as limited as Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Mm. I think Luke Shaw's fine on the other side. Um, Varane's probably fine as a centre back, but but they do have question marks over certain positions. Um and it like for example when, when Rafa Benitez got Glenn Johnson, uh like inform Glenn Johnson just took our system up to another level. Mm. Um before that he was making do with guys like Jan Kramkamp and Hasami mm. and mm. it just didn't work. Mm. 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 Such a shame that actually like uh how how that worked out for Johnson and Rafa and Liverpool because I think he was a absolutely beautiful player 
And if he'd if he if Klopp, if Klopp had inherited peak Johnson, um, it's arguable that Trent Alexander Arnold would would not exist right now because there wouldn't have been a need for him in the side. There wouldn't have been an opening in the squad for him to for him to take. Yeah, yeah. And I think like player and manager wise, they're coming up against their own limitations because the the expectations of all round are never going to be content at Man United with being an extraordinarily effective counter-attacking side. It's just not enough for what what their ambitions are. And just being an extraordinarily effective counter-attacking side is is not enough anymore. It might have been a it might have been at one point you might have been able to win like the biggest trophies playing just that, but this day and age when you get to the very highest point, you'll be exposed. And again, it's happened to England in the Euros. We've seen it. They came up against an Italy side who is just tactically better. It's just able to play in more different ways and exploit exploit more weaknesses. And when it came to that matchup then yeah England didn't have any answers and and to draw another parallel again with Liverpool it reminds me of um Douglas's second era at the club um where he took over from Hodgson and uh everything was basically a disaster and he rebuilt the connection I guess between the fans the manager and the team um because it just it wasn't there at all it had been so badly eroded um, by pretty much everyone on all sides. Um, and he had got Liverpool playing again very effectively and they'd done okay in cups. They'd won a domestic cup uh, in the League Cup. They got to the final in the other. And I think at that point, the fans' expectation was that um, he would be given a new deal and he'd be given a chance to take it further. But I guess FSG um, or whatever consultants they had um, suggested that they didn't think he was the guy for a major rebuild. Um, for a big investment in terms of money in the squad, um, and maybe he his approach, uh, in terms of like signing Stuart Downing, Jordan Henderson, Andy Carroll, that isn't going to take you to the next level. That isn't that's not those aren't level three signings, um, mm. and I think that was probably the the problem that FSG had, um, from whoever I'm assuming someone was consulting them in this. And so we, uh, we as yeah. fans had that love and adoration of uh, Doug Leash. And the results had improved. Football's a results business. He deserved another chance, deserved more time. I think Solskjaer's in that same position. Results are good. Um, they're better than they were. It's a results business. He deserves more time. The fans are on board. The pundits are championing for him to get another contract. He's got the, uh, got the European final in the uh, Europa League. But you can, again, it's that thing you can just say, is he the guy to take them on to the next level, though? Is he someone that could build a team that could compete over a 38-game season with Klopp and um, with yeah. uh, Guardiola? I, yeah. I just don't think he is. And now you've got Thomas Tuchel as well. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure yeah. Thomas Tuchel yeah. will definitely build a force to be reckoned with at Chelsea. I, yeah. I just don't yeah. see it with Solskjaer. Yeah, yeah. And... Yes, Man United are extremely well financed, but so are Chelsea, so are City. And then there's Liverpool, who don't have the same financial advantages, but are also in a place where they don't have financial disadvantages anymore. Not not such huge ones. Um, 
all three of those have managers who are capable of tremendous tactical subtlety. And in Guardiola and Klopp, you've got like generational managers, really, really rare and unique figureheads who are capable of doing the absolute lot and, and producing systems that would be outstanding in, in any age and for and for any club. And yeah, you to compete with them you'd you'd need you'd need someone at that level and it's debatable how many managers even are at that level but maybe like like you're saying with Tuchel he doesn't seem to me at the level of Guardiola or Klopp but maybe with a lot of financial backing and the stars aligning he can compete for a season or two is Solskjaer as good as Tuchel is I don't think so yeah and and that's uh bringing it back to Rafa Benitez that's probably the interesting thing about Rafa Benitez's appointment is um, you probably look at Manchester City, Liverpool and, and Chelsea and think, well, those are the three teams that are the three teams that probably beat in the league. And um, while Manchester United finished second last season, um, they aren't putting up points totals that would suggest they're actually a league title contender. Um, no. They're basically a a poor runner-up, I guess. Um, and I don't want to. I, I don't want to disparage them and, and talk down their achievements. You can only beat what's in front of you, and if if no one else is putting up uh sort of eighty points a season, then 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 you'll win a title with like seventy points. But it's unlikely. Um, and uh, the, their form and their performances aren't substantially better year on year. It's just that, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Liverpool yeah. had a bad year and fell yeah. away. Yeah. Um, and if what if what and I think Chelsea had a year where it was lots of upheaval. If what we're saying if is is right that like um, Manu a kind of very effective counter attacking team, then what then what you expect what you would expect to consistently happen is like able to get sometimes even very surprisingly good results against teams who are on their level or better, teams who are prepared to like actually try and come and give them a game, able to get consistently good results against maybe teams that aren't able to keep possession well or certainly to get very good results as soon as they go a goal up and exploit teams on the break, but consistently have problems with like grinding out results again and again and again against teams that are quite happy to sit back and back and defend against the sort of lesser lights of the league and it seems to me like that's exactly what you see happening and that there's a sort of limit to how many points you can get if that's a struggle for you and again we've seen we've 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 seen that with Liverpool we've seen that with managers that we've had time and time again that it's actually very difficult to turn those maybe bottom five, ten teams in the league. It's very difficult to turn turn those into a sort of points farm. And to turn them into a points farm, you need to be able to play a kind of like dominant possession-based football. You need to be able to probe those defences for gaps to be able to get that initial breakthrough to then be able to play a mixture of possession football and on the break to consistently beat those teams. And you saw it again with Liverpool last season, like injury problems, problems in defence, 
a little bit of edge taking off our attack and lo and behold suddenly we can we can get impressive results against big teams we can still grind out results but we're dropping points again against the lesser lights of the league because we're struggling to break down teams that just sit with 10 behind the ball because the thing is it's not an easy thing to do and it's always made out like it's an easy thing to do but it isn't it's probably the hardest thing to do in football yeah exactly that and um to bring it back to sort of rafa benitez uh, again at everton um, I guess their their blueprint needs to be perhaps someone like Leicester City rather than someone like Liverpool or, or Manchester City at the moment. Um, you look at Leicester City and they've made a very good last five, six years out of being a very high-quality counter-attacking team. And they're adding players like Tielmans and, and um, that can maybe start to take them towards being a level three team. They've got excellent fullbacks as well. So yeah. there's little pieces being added that can maybe help build them towards something greater. But at the moment, they're punching well above their weight as a just a level two counter-attacking team that can fall back into a containment team against the top sides when they get ahead. Um, and that is probably what Everton need to look at as being the blueprint that Rafa's going to follow. Um, they're going to basically be building up on a budget They've got a director of football in Brands who who can maybe pull pull off some smart deals and like for example Damari Gray, um, in terms of building up an effective counter attacking team, and you could see them trying to compete against the top six teams and maybe eventually even pushing for one of the top four spots, um, because you, you look at other teams like Arsenal and Spurs, um, United have had their trouble since Ferguson retired, um, and uh. You just think that there's always one of those teams that could sort of be unsettled in a season. Um, yeah. Last season, it looked like it was going to be us. We yeah. we were teetering on the, the yeah. brink there because yeah. everything just happened at once. Everything that could go wrong went wrong at once. And that's probably what Everton are probably aiming for, to be a team that's ready to capitalise on that. Um, yeah. And Leicester have been phenomenal at that. Yeah. And I think that's a really, really good point. The The dynamics of the league are sort of different than at one point we thought they would be. Like it, it seemed for a long time like there would be a top four that would then become established and, established and then kind of run away with it by virtue of like being in the Champions League, getting more cash, then that becoming this sort of virtuous circle of cash dominance, cash dominance. But it hasn't quite happened like that. It, it seems like every season it's more like there's two or three outstanding clubs and one or two other clubs that maybe should be outstanding given their financial backing, but who for whatever reasons are in a transitional phase are just badly run, who fall away. And then there's so much money in the league in general that there is an opportunity for one or two clubs to exploit that place every year and Leicester have done it really really successfully without actually managing to get over that last hurdle of actually getting into the top four yeah and they've also been but yeah they also I mean they won the league um and they won the league with that counter-attacking style um and uh it's such a rare thing to do because uh usually if you have a team in your league that is able to play level three football break down um low blocks and basically dominate the points totals. You'll always have someone that's on like 85 plus points. But that season there wasn't. And so Leicester could only, like we said, beat what's in front of them. Um, but going forward, you don't think that's the case. 
Um, and it's interesting that Rodgers has came very close quite a few times. Um, and he's always been talked about as a p- potential title contender sort of around January. Uh, and then sort of things fall away. And it's maybe that thing of the mindset of how teams approach Leicester switches from basically being, uh, we just need to contain Leicester. And then the, the onus is on Leicester to break us down. Um, whenever you're facing a title contender, maybe that's the sort of mindset that teams have. Um, and whenever mm. Rodgers sort of gets to the tail ends of season, he seems to struggle, I guess, to get things over the line with Leicester. Um, but yeah, mm. it, it's very mm. interesting. Yeah, maybe it's down to approach. Maybe it's also down to fitness. Maybe, um, I don't know. But maybe Leicester is a club that sort of sets up their like long-term fitness to kind of peak a little bit earlier in the system, mm. you know. Whereas it's very clear that Klopp, Klopp's teams don't do that. Um, and they're very much set up to peak at the end of the sister season. And there's always there's always going to be in a Klopp season, there's going to be a kind of like just a sort of performance trough just from when our fitness is at the lowest which a team like City can seem to transcend a little bit just by virtue of having such a insanely massive squad, you know. Like if you if you played Manchester City's second 11 as a league club in its own right, they'd be they'd be potential title challengers, right? They'd definitely be top 4 contenders. It's crazy the resources they're able to kind of hoard in comparison to everyone else. So, so to round things up, um, two, two very quick questions. Um, sure. Do you think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer could win the league title with United? And no. Do you think Rafa Benitez can end Everton's trophyless run of now whatever many years it is, 26? Yeah, with, with an ab- absolute confidence that um, is probably going to get laughably proven wrong. Um, <laughs> no, nah, I, I, I don't think Ole's going to win the league with United I don't I don't think there's any chance of him winning the league I don't think there's any chance of him winning the European Championships either unless sorry the European Cup unless there is actually like a Leicester type season where the rest of the other clubs are are all performing badly which kind of happened this season right Mm -hmm. and it still ends up with United in where did they end up third fourth no they were second they were second in the end but with like how many points? Um, I'm not sure. I don't think the broke 80 points. That That's sort of my point. Yeah, right. Where I start to think of teams as title contenders. Whenever they break into the 80 point mark, I think, oh, okay, that's that's a title contender. Yeah, it, it wasn't a spectacular points haul. And can, can Rafa win trophies with Everton? It's not a bad Everton squad by any means, right? There's a lot of good players in that side and we've definitely seen worse teams than Everton with worse managers win win trophies, you know. Martinez Martinez with Wigan winning the league club winning the league cup is nowhere near as good a manager or a squad as Everton have. So can he do it? Yeah, absolutely if the wins right and he gets those initial results to get the fans on his side. I think so. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I always think of things like Ranieri winning the, the Euros or uh, Leicester winning the league or um, things like that. It's usually down to uh, it either being a cup format where a team is hard to beat, um, but they probably wouldn't be able to amass a lot of points. Or if it's in a league, it's usually because um, nobody is basically dominating the league 
uh, in the way that Man City and, and Liverpool have with their league title wins recently, um, yeah. where they're basically just blown away all the other teams in a master points total that's that's basically 80, 85, 90 plus um, year yeah. on year. Yeah. Uh, j- just looking, by the way, Manchester United had 74 points this season. Um, and that's yeah. what I mean. It's basically a, a top four points total for most yeah, seasons. Exactly. It's not yeah. really a, a runner up type title contender yeah. type thing. Yeah. Um, and, and that was the problem. I had. Yeah. 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 Even even in the Le- Leicester winning season. And I think that's the difference between those two questions. Like Ole for the title or Rafa for the cups. There's a difference there. Like Ole for a title or for a European Cup is you're talking about a, like a black swan outlier of a season. You're talking about a kind of one in a thousand situation where they perform above themselves or above what I think he's capable of and everyone else performs well below. Whereas Rafa winning a cup at Everton, it doesn't feel like that. It feels unlikely, but it feels unlikely in that kind of you know, like 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 a hundred meter Olympics, and there's five guys who are all capable of like running under nine point nine seconds on a given day, and yeah, that makes the fifth of those guys or the fourth of those guys very unlikely to win the hundred meters. But also, like if the other three have just a bit of an off day, then you're there. Then the one on the top. If you don't even exceed yourself, but kind of maintain your same level, and that's how I feel about Rafa winning a trophy with Everton. It doesn't take a lot of other teams to underperform. It takes a couple, and it takes Rafa to achieve the kind of standards he's consistently shown that he's capable of. Thank you for listening to this Crack Stats podcast on Rafa Benitez. And a special thanks to our Patreon, without whom none of this would be possible. On the next episode of Crack Stats podcast, we will be inviting Professor Noel Canohern of the University of California, Los Angeles. She will be discussing biomechanics and sport, the Alexander Technique, preventable injury, and increasing performance by becoming more efficient with movement. Follow us at CrackStats to be notified as soon as new episodes drop. We hope to see you then!